Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Aparna Nancherla is the author of Unreliable Narrator, Me, Myself, and Imposter Syndrome, Aparna is a comedian and general silly billy. Her sense of humor is dry, existential, and absurd with notes of uncalled-for whimsy. Think of wine you didn't order. You can hear Aparna as the voice of Moon on Fox's The Great North or have heard her as the voice of Hollyhock on BoJack Horseman. You can currently watch Aparna in The Drop on Hulu or as Dr. Pocha on Lopez vs. Lopez on NBC. You may have watched Aparna as Grace, the belabored HR rep on the critically acclaimed Comedy Central show, Corporate. 
She also has a half-hour special on the second season of The Stand-Ups on Netflix, as well as appearances on Late Night with Stephen Colbert on CBS and Two Dope Queens on HBO. Other acting credits include A Simple Favor, Modern Love, Bob's Burgers, Crashing, Master of None, and Inside Amy Schumer. She's written for Totally Biased with W. Camus Bell and Late Night with Seth Meyers, as well as Mythic Quest on Apple+. Plus. Aparna was named one of the 50 funniest people right now by Rolling Stone. In 2019, she was in a Super Bowl commercial with Michael Buble for Sparkling Water Nay Seltzer. In 2016, she released her debut album, Just Putting It Out There, on Tig Notaro's label, Benson Ball Records, and recorded a half-hour special for Comedy Central. She was chosen as one of Variety's top 10 comics to watch. Aparna currently lives in Los Angeles, if you can even imagine. Welcome, Aparna. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your latest and newest and only memoir, Unreliable Narrator, Me, Myself, and Imposter Syndrome. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So what made you decide to write a memoir? I think for me, it more led with the imposter syndrome than the memoir part. I think the imposter syndrome was something I was struggling with. I, I, I'm a stand-up and I think I was having a lot of performance anxiety and, you know, I'd been getting more career opportunities and that had led to an increasing sense of self-doubt rather than, you know, kind of the, the fantasy you have of success where everything is fixed and you're done and, you know life is all rainbows and unicorns. And so I think because more success seemed to translate to more mental angst, I, I started to feel kind of like, oh no, what's the point of any of this then as my existential brain loves to go to those places. So then, you know, the self-doubt seemed to get louder. So I was like, well, if you have so much to say, why don't you do some work? So I decided to write write a book about self-doubt. Amazing. And you write in the book about how hard it was for you to write the book, <laughs> which is always fun. How you're constantly procrastinating. And you, of course, you do it in such a clever way. But um, was it really hard? Tell me about it. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, it was my first book. So I think it was just a new muscle to exercise at all. But then, yeah, I naturally am a procrastinating perfectionist. So I think it was very easy to be like, have an idea of a book in my head and then sit down and be like, well, this doesn't, this isn't how it's supposed to go. I'm supposed to just, you know, write effortlessly and then take my little afternoon coffee break. So I think it was a lot of me coming up against uh, my own kind of unrealistic expectations. And I will say I did, you know, end up writing it, but I won't say I had like any kind of set routine of I got up every day at 9 a.m. Like for a while, I was going to a writing center. Other times I would start writing at like 11 at night, which I wouldn't recommend. But yeah, I think it was it was a lot of trial and error of, of getting getting it out onto the page. I think it's far more rare to have the person who sits down and just it all comes out on a regular schedule. I mean, I think you have to be like three or four novels in or something. That's my, I don't know, to like have that be your routine and it just comes out. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Or or sometimes you'll I'll read in interviews, you know, someone will be like, I just couldn't stop writing for a month straight. And then it just all came out. And I was like, no, that's not how my muse seems to operate. <laughs> well, I mean, you talk about a lot of really tough topics and you talk about things that you admit in the book as not having talked about really ever before, starting with your surgeries and talking about, you know, you're a lot about your relationship with your body and looks and yes, the cultural ways the culture plays into that, but your own 
sort of relationship with how you look, what that means. You know, you have this interesting part where even though you don't want to be on those lists because it's terrible when like guys make lists of like the best looking and you don't want to be part of that system, you also don't want to be excluded from the list, you know? Um, Just all these like, you know, paradoxes that as women, we mostly, we have to deal with all the time. Tell me a little bit about that and how it felt opening up and, and why you hadn't talked about some of the stuff before and why you're ready to now. Yeah. I mean, I think also some of the appeal of writing a book was that, you know, previously I had touched on some of these topics in my standup. And I think in that sense with standup, everything is sort of you only have so much real estate because you are, you know, supposed to get to a punchline. And also you only have so much time to get your point across on stage. So it has to be a little more polished. There has to be a little more emotional remove, I think, in getting into some of these topics. And I wanted to be able to delve into them in kind of a messier, less resolved way. So I think that maybe gave me the opportunity to go to some of these places I hadn't been able to before where it is, yeah, these kind of paradoxes you wrestle with where there isn't like a clean, and now I know better, you know, (laughs) sort of ending. Yeah. Yeah. We still have to, you know, brush our hair and look in the mirror every day. (laughs) It's like, you can't get rid of it. Can I read a paragraph from the book? Is that okay? Sure. I love this section. This is sort of along the lines of self-image and everything. You said, what I've learned with time is that no matter how much I change what I look like, there is no salvation in it. Yes, looking in the mirror, stepping on a scale can take up your entire brain, but to what end? A fleeting sense of passing muster, but whose? And is it ever enough? I still struggle more often than I care to admit with how both my body and I look and present. But now I can finally see outside of this perpetual dissatisfaction in a way I couldn't when I was younger and see it for what it is, just another way of grasping at a sense of affinity, a pyramid scheme of acceptance. Because most of this endless fixation is for other people, even if it's often a projected version of them. And why should any system or person have so much to say over how I feel about myself? I have committed to this perspective as a practice because I know I will lose sight of it again. But every new reminder of it provides a respite. Love that. Oh, thanks. So good. So how do you keep this front and center? Like it's one thing to sit down and make all these resolutions about acceptance of ourselves, or maybe this is just me, I don't know. But then to like put it into practice all the time and and remind yourself of this. Like, do you feel like this did the trick for you? <laughs> I think it helped to be able to kind of, uh, you know, elucidate it on a page. But yeah, it is, as as I say in the book, kind of an ongoing battle. And, you know, some days they're better than others. I will say I, I kind of stopped checking social media in a very real way in, in compared to like, I used to check it all the time. And now like very, very rarely do I go on the platforms. And I think for me, that afforded me a lot of space that I think I needed mentally. Mm-hmm. And just being in an industry that is always kind of pitting people against each other, I think there is a real undervaluing of of creating like room for yourself and mm-hmm. kind of room for okayness with yourself. So I think I've been working very hard in the past few years on just like protecting that space and being a lot more considerate towards myself of that space. Interesting. I love it. Well, you also talked about your 
history with depression and how it came on at age 19 and how you had to cope with that, how it's hard sometimes for other people to really understand what you're talking about when you said like yeah. you started describing the symptoms and they were like, oh, that must be so hard. You're like, wait, this is like the prologue to the symptoms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you don't even know. Tell me about that and how you, you know, you, you list a lot of the different meds and the different ways you've gotten through this and managed it. Now it's become a part of your life. And also you have a chapter on anxiety and how that has, you know, played a big part as well. And I've also struggled with these things and uh, know where, where you're coming from on a, a lot of it. So I don't know, tell me about your experience there and about these parts of the book. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, again, like some of the first ways I, I broached these topics was through my standup. And I think that gave me a certain relationship to them as kind of this compartmentalized thing I could talk about in a more polished way. And because the book let me get more into those nuances, it did, you know, let me kind of put down the whole journey of how I first kind of was able to name these things for myself and then later how my relationship to them changed. But I specifically was really interested in writing about like, if you do start talking about your own mental health in a sort of more public way, what does that do to your relationship to it internally? And and I did find that really interesting of how like when people may be more associated with me with someone who would talk about anxiety and depression in their stand-up, like it still wasn't like fully conveying the experience of what it is like to actually have it. You're it's still you're you're able to, you know, sometimes people would ask me, like, how do you talk about these things and and struggle with them. Like, I feel like I struggle, but then there's no way for me to actually like kind of make sense of it or later translate it to people. And so to me, it almost felt like a split sense of self sometimes between the like more presentational way I would talk about it versus my actual experience of it. So I do think the book helped me kind of bridge those two things of like, yeah, this is something I talk about in my work, but that's still a more clean version of the actual living with it day to day. Yeah. And you also point out how it's now sort of on trend to reveal your mental health struggles, right? Like self-care, yeah. whatever's going on, being real. You're like, well, now this is like a thing. You know, what do we do with that? <laughs> Which is very odd. Like the way it's been commodified, like I, I, it's obviously like a positive thing that it's become more just openly talked about. Like that feels good and like progress. But then, yeah, it sort of feels like it's gone to the other extreme where it's kind of this buzzword or like this identity thing where, you know, people wear t-shirts that are like, don't talk to me about my anxiety or whatever it is. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's a little strange. Like our relationship to it right now feels like it's in a odd phase. True. I guess we'll see where this all lands. Yeah. Right? Sort of this, the pendulum is swung one way. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You write a little about, you know, <laughs> deciding to do stand-up and have, you were like, nobody thought I was funny. You're like, you did, it was unexpected at the time, right? You were like, yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little more about, about that piece of, of your life and how you feel. I know we're mid writer strike and all of that. So you don't know details or anything, but just in broad strokes, how you feel about, you know, what you, what you do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I, yeah, if you had talked to me as a kid, I never would have in any remote realm of possibility been like, I'm going to be a, end up as a stand-up comedian. Like, I think it was something I kind of stumbled into, like first from just an interest in comedy and then kind of going to an open mic and realizing it was something anyone could do. Like, I I very much like my career has been kind of one foot in front of the other. Oh, like no one no one has turned me away. I guess I'll just keep going. Like I, I've always had trouble kind of formulating like a concrete goal. So I think standup has been very much the same thing where I like showed up and then everyone seemed okay with it. So then I just kept showing up and kind of going where that led. And yeah, I think even now, sometimes I'm like, can't really believe that I do it. Like there is a little bit of a disconnect where I'm just like, Oh, I guess this is my life. Like it's so, cause I, I am someone who lives so much in my head that sometimes it feels there, like there's a reality going on upstairs and then like what's actually happening. And I have to remember to, yeah, engage with the real world and be like, yeah, people think you're a stand up and you are, and you have to go make them laugh tonight. <laughs> Uh, have you read other memoirs, like comedian memoirs? I read the Seinfeld one, but I'm not sure what else I've read. What Did you read a bunch of others to prepare or just have you read them? I think I've read a handful over, I, I'm trying to, I don't know if I read any to prepare, but I, I do think I was like, I don't want to, you know, steal what someone else was doing. So I will you know, make sure I'm kind of doing my own thing. But I think I read Jesse Klein's essays oh, yeah. going mm -hmm. into it. And maybe I reread one of Mindy Kaling's essay collections. And I remember I had read Tina Fey's like back when it came out. And I was just like, I can't look at that because it's going to make me feel <laughs> very like incapable of writing my own book. Yeah. But I had read, yeah, I'd read like Amy Poehler's and yeah, I kind of love, I had most recently read Maria Bamford's, but that had come out like a lot sooner after I had written mine. But yeah, I think I just love like the way you hear different people's voices come so clearly through in their writing. Yeah. And also when you read them, those are the edited versions of Tina Fey and Amy Poehler's books. Do you know what I mean? It's not yes. like 
it's hard true. when we're like writing. To, you compare what's in on the Word doc to the book, and there's a totally. lot of steps in between. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> Would you want to write another book, or are you writing another book? I'm not writing another book at the moment, but I think I'm open to it. I, yeah, I'm like, I don't know if it's like a thing where you like block out the really hard parts and you're like, yeah, I could do that again. But I think I would just write maybe a different style of book. Like, I think I wouldn't maybe feel the need to write another vulnerable essay collection anytime Mm -hmm. soon. Right. I loved your resume of failures and like the things that hadn't happened. And then you were like, the fact that somebody else already thought of this is just another failure. (laughs) (laughs) On brand, on brand. On brand. Did you really lose your diplomas or was that just funny? No, I I couldn't not, (laughs) I could not tell you where they are. So, so great. Oh my gosh. So what else do you like to do when you're not working and you're not writing books? And like, what's, what's your favorite stuff that you do on your free time? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a big reader myself. I think curling up with a book is, is my happy place. I was a kid who, you know, went to the library, like it was the candy store. Like I was so excited and yeah, I just love kind of nature getting out hiking. Yeah. I, I live in LA, so it is like, I watch a lot of movies, but I think that's just maybe everyone these days. But yeah, I I mean, I think I love above all, regardless of what I'm doing, just like spending time with people I love. And I feel like even being in comedy, like some of the hardest laughs I have are just, you know, with friends. And yeah, that feels ever more valuable, especially after the pandemic. Yes, so true. You have to check out my bookstore in Santa Monica. It's called Zivi's Bookshop. Oh my gosh, I definitely will. Love a bookstore. Opened in February, so... Yeah, it's oh been God. so much Congratulations. fun. Thank you. Thank you. After reading the book, do you feel like people know everything there is to know about you? Or do you feel like you intentionally withheld some very important things that maybe you just want to keep to yourself? I think I tried to be as open as I could. I think for me, it's more that, especially with a form like memoir or like writing from your life, you're just we're all constantly changing so quickly as people, like even from week to week, day to day within the same day, that sometimes it's like going back and reading something. I'll be like, well, I don't feel exactly like that anymore. So it is mm-hmm. kind of that that balance of being like, okay, with something representing maybe a snapshot of where you were when you wrote it and knowing that you might not exactly be that person anymore. Totally. That's true. Well, you also, I keep being like, you also did this and you also did that, but you did a lot of great things in the book, but uh, you talked a lot about uh, introversion and how, you know, coming out of your shell is supposed to be this great thing. And is it necessarily a good thing? Discuss. Yeah. I, I mean, I was raised, I think, I mean, I think American culture period is like very, you know, being outgoing, being the most charismatic person in the room is like an unalloyed good thing. And I I wouldn't argue that those are bad things, but I do think if you're not that, that is also okay. And like a, a valid way of being like to not always pushing yourself to be the center of attention or like the person with the perfect anecdote. Like, I think I have always been kind of a more thoughtful reserved person. And like, I, I think before I speak and if I am going to speak kind of like with stand up, like I know what I'm going to say ahead of time. It's a very controlled thing. So I think only in the past few years have I really learned to be like, that's okay. Like you don't have to always 
be pushing yourself to like speak more or take up like more space than than you are. Like I think there is also as a woman of color, sometimes this idea that if you're like not trying to take up more room, people aren't going to give it to you. And I think I've had to kind of navigate that line for myself of like, what is just my own comfort zone and what is me trying to make myself smaller? Mm-hmm. Gosh, well, there's lots to lots to chew on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you think about people, you know, reading the book, putting it down, sliding it onto the bookshelf, what do you want them to really take away from from the read? Yeah, I think for me, it is just like these are things I wrestle with on a daily basis, and and maybe just like connecting with other people in their own struggles with these things because I think I I kind of went for topics where I was like. I don't think I'm ever going to cleanly resolve my feelings or thoughts on these things. And I think it's nice to just know that we're all kind of on our own journeys at all times with with different aspects of our lives, whether it be our, our bodies or our mental health or the way we relate to other people or, or our work. And yeah, just kind of meeting someone in wherever they are on their journey or, and hopefully like giving them a little company. That's lovely. Well, everyone can use a little company, especially through the tougher terrains. <laughs> yeah. What is your parting advice for aspiring authors? Oh my gosh. I would say my parting advice is even, <laughs> I guess, even in your lowest moments, that's like still part of the process. Like, like hating the book, hating yourself, like that's still, I guess, on task. <laughs> Yep. Not a straight line. <laughs> yes. Process, not a straight sure. line. Okay, great. Well, Aparna, thank you so much. Thanks. Congratulations on Unreliable Narrator. Um, I wish you, so you all much. the best. It's not always fun having to market a book as an introvert, but uh, I'm wishing you all the best. And, uh, thank you so much. I uh, hope you have a fun time. And yeah, go check out the store. Thank you. I will. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.